0: Well, we are continuing in our series, The Greatest Show on Earth. And today, I want to talk to you from this thought, your greatest performance. Well, I don't know about you, but I enjoy being entertained. Whether it is a summer blockbuster movie, if it's an illusion or an epic stunt, even a major sporting event like Game 5 tonight. Anybody watching Game 5? I'm all about it. There's something about being entertained that just takes you away from your daily responsibilities and just kind of lets you ease and relax. And oftentimes, when it's something epic, we are left wowed, asking how in the world did they do that? Well, one of America's greatest performers was a motorcycle stuntman named Evil Knievel. Now, Evel Knievel would attempt crazy, wild stunts on his motorcycle, and these stunts would wow groups of spectators all over the world. And today, I want to show you a short clip of his very first ever televised motorcycle stunt. You can check it out right here.
1: Right now, everyone here in the crowd has their eyes riveted on a young man by the name of Evel Knievel who is set and ready in his yellow daredevil leathers and new racing helmet to attempt the leap over 15 cars. You saw J.C. Agajanian there in the background nervously pacing up and down. An exciting moment here at Gardena, California, even for the young ones. To soar through the air, airborne for about 90 feet, on a normal Triumph machine. And he's set to go. Take off, of course, very critical. He'll build up speed as quickly as he can, and here he goes. it. A beautiful leap as Evil Knievel gets the roar of approval from the crowd here, going beautifully over 15 cars. Well, now let's take a look at it again in slow motion to see the techniques used. Here he comes. This is a parabolic curve so that the rear wheel will keep the traction. Now, as you see, he rises in the seat and makes a perfect landing. A wild way to ride a motorcycle.
0: Wow, so you can see that the spectators in that crowd were full of enthusiasm and excitement after seeing that jump. But the reality is, Evil Knievel didn't just wake up one morning and decide, You know what? I want to put on a really great performance. I think I'm going to get my motorcycle and do an epic jump. Now, the reality is, Evil Knievel had to do a lot of preparation in order to give a great performance. So, today we're going to talk about five points regarding preparation, performance, and purpose. And the first one is this Preparation precedes performance. Preparation is actually a prerequisite for greatness. In order to do anything great, you have to prepare. And I'm sure that you have witnessed this in your own life. It reminds me of seventh grade. In seventh grade, there was a talent show. Now, I don't know about you, but at my school, the talent show at the end of the year was a big deal. And so this group of my friends and I, there were probably 20 of us, we decided we were going to reenact the high school dance team Competition performance. And so for weeks after school, we would get together and we would practice. And we would prepare and practice and prepare. And you know what? Sometimes it doesn't matter how much you prepare, you need to prepare a little more. Do you know what I'm saying? So we get up for the talent show, and we get to the part of the performance where it's like the finale, the epic part of the performance, where we get ready to do the kick line. Well, guess who came into the kick line one count too early? It was me. Mortifying, right? In front of the whole school, I came in one count too early. It's on video. And you notice I didn't bring the video to show you because I'm still mortified. But friends, I prepared and I prepared, but I should have prepared just a little bit more. Evil Knievel, he did a lot of preparation for his performances. Before this stunt, he had to prepare many things. For instance, he had to promote the event himself. He didn't, didn't have an agent to promote him. He rented the venue. He wrote the press release. He set up the show and sold the tickets himself. Then he served as his own master of ceremonies. He prepared a lot, but it was his, prep- his preparation that actually positioned him for a great performance. I also think about King David in the Bible. In Acts 13, he is called a man after God's own heart. Well, as a young boy, David was the youngest of eight sons, and he had the role of shepherd boy. And during this time, the role of the shepherd was usually given to the least esteemed member of the family or to the servants who worked for the family. This was not a role that received accolade, but David was faithful as a shepherd boy, not knowing that God was preparing him for bigger things. Luke 16, 10 says, whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. David was faithful with the little he had been given. He was faithful in his season of preparation. And eventually, God trusted him with something bigger, and that was the role king of Israel. You know, most people, including myself, we desire to do great things in life. For instance, as you watch the game tonight, you will see two of the greatest, LeBron James and Steph Curry. And I guarantee you that one day they didn't just wake up and decide, you know what, basketball sounds kind of cool. You know, I think I'm going to play basketball. And I'm going to be MVP. No, they had to prepare, prepare, prepare. Countless practices. Huge amount of investment that many of us will never understand and know unless we walk in their shoes. But they prepared, they prepared, and they prepared some more. In life, if you're a student and you want to do good in school, if you want to go on to get your master's or your doctorate, it will take preparation. It will take investment. In your career, if you want to start a business, whatever you want to do in that area of your field, it will require preparation in order to achieve greatness. I think about passions and talents that God has given us. In order for us to refine those and develop those, it will require us preparing ourselves and investing ourselves. One of the most common areas that people want to achieve greatness but they fail to do the little things and to be faithful in the little things is in the area of marriage. And sure, we plan and we prepare for the big day. In fact, they have television shows all about the big day, right? Shows on which dress is the right dress and which place is the right place to have it and what kind of cake you should have and what colors you should pick you know what? We even put more time into who we're going to invite to the wedding and who's going to sit by who than we do on what we're going to do after the actual ceremony for the lifelong marriage union. But imagine how our relationships, imagine how our careers, imagine how our passions would be impacted if we, like the scripture said, were faithful doing the little things. It's when we do the little things well that God can entrust us with more. Friends, in life, it's not enough to want to do something great. It's not even enough to show up. Showing up is the first part, but that's not enough. If we want to achieve greatness, just like Evel Knievel and David the Shepherd Boy, we must do what is necessary to prepare ourselves for greatness. Number two is this. There is no public performance without private preparation. Real greatness is found in the moments when we prepare and no one is looking, when no one even knows. David prepared in public before his first epic performance, and that was his battle against Goliath. Now, this was no Mayweather versus Pacquiao kind of battle. This was a legit, good versus evil, giant versus boy, underdog kind of story. If you're not familiar with the story of David and Goliath, you can look in 1 Samuel 17. But kind of here's the overview. Goliath was a giant. And not just like a jolly green giant. He was like a Philistine warrior. Huge The Israelite army was terrified of him. They were intimidated. For 40 days, Goliath challenged the Israelite army to send out their champion to come up against him in battle. And every single day for 40 days, the Israelites were afraid. Well, it was during this time that Jesse sent his youngest son, David, the shepherd boy, to take food and supplies to his brothers who were a part of the Israelite army. And right as he arrived, the two sides were lining up for battle. So you have the Philistines and you have the Israelites. And once again, Goliath calls out challenging an Israelite champion to come against him. And everyone was afraid, everyone except for David. But see here's the thing, David was a young boy. He was just a shepherd. He had to prove to King Saul that he was prepared for this battle. Okay, check out First Samuel seventeen, thirty four through thirty-five, and you see his response. King Saul. And David says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. You know, it's not likely that King Saul would have allowed David to fight on behalf of of the whole Israelite people and Israelite army if he had not proven his private preparation. Especially when you consider the matchup. The scripture says that Goliath, who fought for the Philistines, he was nearly 10 feet tall. His armor alone weighed 126 pounds. His spear was like a fence rod and the end of his spear was 15 pounds alone. You match that up next to David, David was five foot two. Friends, that's shorter than me, even when my heels are off. Like, that is really short. David was tiny. And forget the armor. It was too big. It was too uncomfortable. And so David instead said, I am going to fight without armor. And instead, I will choose my slingshot and five smooth stones. And I love it because this is where Goliath and David, they line up. And David is taunting, or Goliath is taunting David and saying, Who are you, little shepherd boy, to come against me? the champion, the giant of the Philistines. And this is how David replies in 1 Samuel 17, 25. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Then David got his sling, put a stone in the sling, flung it around and hit David the giant smack in between the eyes and Goliath fell down dead. David defeated him on behalf of the Israelites. Friends, our private moments of preparation, when no one is looking, are the moments that God uses to prepare us for greatness, especially when others aren't cheering us on, which leads me to point number three, and that is this. Performance gets the applause, but preparation is seldom acknowledged. If we're not careful, we become addicted to the affirmation of people, to the applause, to them acknowledging what we are doing, the acts that we are performing. And it's dangerous because applause and being driven by applause can lead us away from doing what God wants to do in us through our season of preparation. You know, David, when he was in the field as a shepherd boy, people weren't applauding him, like, Way to go, David! Those sheep look good! When he was killing the lion and the bear, they weren't like, woo, David, get him. No, he was doing his job. He was preparing himself in this season when nobody was looking, when nobody was applauding. When you look at 1 Samuel 17, 28, you even see how his brother belittled him. Forget applause. His brother didn't even support him. And he says this, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? That's a little passive-aggressive, isn't it? Kind of a dig, like, man, why'd you leave those few sheep and come down here? You think you can do something about this? Friends, in your seasons of preparation, people may belittle you. They may talk against you. But we need to be strong in our purpose. And we need to be able to prepare without the applause of people. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We will achieve success. We will experience great performances in our life if we can focus on Christ and not the applause of others. When you give your time, your talent, and your treasure without others acknowledging you or applauding you, you are serving God. When you do the little and the big things in your relationships with other people without others acknowledging you or applauding, you are serving God. And every single time that you show up on the job giving your best excellent work ethic without acknowledgement or applause, you are serving God. And friends, even those moments when nobody is looking and you choose Holiness, without applause or others acknowledging you, you are serving God. There is power in pursuing our purpose and preparing without the applause of man. Do what it takes when no one is looking. Number four is this. Pitfalls often accompany preparation, but pitfalls aren't permanent. Today, don't be discouraged if you find yourself in a pit, if you feel disappointed, if you feel like you have been done wrong, or you're in pain, or maybe you don't even know why you're in a pit, I encourage you today, there is purpose in the pits on the road to preparation. Whether your pitfall is self-inflicted or out of your control, it is not permanent. I like to think of it this way. I like to think of it as just a pit stop, here for a while, and then gone. Even evil Knievel experienced pitfalls. Did you know that he broke 40 bones before he retired as a stuntman? He spent 36 months in the hospital. In fact, on his very first stunt attempt, he crashed so hard that he had to spend five consecutive months in the hospital. Now, I don't know about you, but at that point, I might be thinking, you know, I think I might try something else. There might be something else I can do. <laughs> but evil Knievel was not deterred by this pitfall. In fact, you know what he said? He said, I came walking in, I went out walking. Now that is some resolve not to give up. And today, maybe some of you need to reactivate that resolve. You need to have that attitude that no matter what, I came in walking, I went out walking. We need to to have resolved. King David, oh my goodness, he fell into some pitfalls too. I'm talking major pitfalls. He went from the shepherd boy who defeated the Philistine giant to become king of Israel to having an affair with a woman named Bathsheba and then arranging for the murder of her husband. Uh, Hello? Is that a major pitfall or what? I mean, after that, it's hard to imagine that God could even use his life for anything after falling in such a pit of sin. But this is the beauty and the power of God. God rescues us. In the pit, God himself comes down and helps us when we ask for his help. I love how David repented before God in this prayer in Psalm 51, 10 through 12. And he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When David repented before God, his life was restored and God rescued him. After this prayer of repentance, David and Bathsheba had a son named Solomon. You may have heard of Solomon. He is regarded as the wisest man ever born, the wisest man to ever live. In fact, he replaced his father as king and became king of Israel. And if you continue reading, you will discover that his name is listed in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Friends, there is no doubt that David got out of his pit. I had a great reminder this week, you know, timing is everything, right? And I had a great reminder this week on Friday about being in a pit and how that can make you feel and about having to work through the consequences of it. On Friday night, our family goes on our family date night. And so this past Friday, Herbert, the kids, and I, we went to dinner, and then we went to the park. It was such a pretty night. And we went to the park, and the kids played, and Herbert pushed them on the tire swing. And then we got snow cones. And when we got home, I was so excited to get in my comfy clothes and hang out for the rest of the night with the kids. And within 10 minutes of getting home all of a sudden, something came over me. And I told my oldest son, Kale, I was like, babe, all of a sudden, I'm just not feeling good. I don't know what's going on. And I'm not even exaggerating, within a few minutes of saying that very thing to my son, I found myself in the bathroom with all the contents of my stomach relieving themselves. Now, if you know my husband well, and if you've heard him speak before on things that can happen with bodily functions, you know that I'm more subtle. Can you already tell? <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> and so, but it was bad, I'm telling you. I was so sick. And it didn't take long to realize that I had got food poisoning. And so, for the next four hours, Every 10 to 15 minutes, sometimes not even that long, I was back in the bathroom relieving myself of everything in my stomach, or so I thought. It was miserable. The last hour, I was like, just, I'm like, I don't even have energy to go back to the bed. I'm just going to lean on the counter here in the bathroom. I'm just going to lean till the next time. (laughs) And Herbert was so sweet, he'd poke his head in. Do you need anything? I say, oh, no, I'm okay. I'm okay because I like to be strong. Well, the last hour, Forget Me and Strong, I was texting him like, please bring me a big bowl and, you know, this whole list of things. But friends, in that moment, it reminded me of those times we're in a pit because I started having these thoughts. Like, why me? How did I get this and not Karis? My daughter, Karis, shared the same food that I ate that night. So I was like, why did I get it and not Karis? And then I kept thinking, and I'm like, and why didn't Herbert get it too? Because he took some of my food. (laughs) I thought, this is not fair. I'm in the pit. I don't deserve to be here. I didn't ask to be here. I didn't go to that restaurant so I could get food poisoning. Man, life is not fair. Do you ever have those moments in the pit where all of a sudden you just start talking down and just comparing? The reality is we find ourselves sometimes in the road of preparation. We find ourselves in a pit, and sometimes we got ourselves there, but sometimes we didn't ask to be there. Sometimes we don't even know why we're there, and it doesn't seem fair because we're going through it, but they're not. We're having to deal with this, but they're not. But friends, I'm telling you, there is purpose in the pit. God is doing something in you to prepare you for your greatest performance. I can tell you today that there were times I found myself in a pit, and I didn't know why, and I questioned, and I couldn't figure it out. But now I'm on the other side of the pit, and it all makes sense. Because God was preparing me. He was strengthening me. He was developing things in me as I drew closer to God in my moments of desperation. He refined me, and he was preparing me for the things that he had for me in my future. And I know that today and tomorrow and maybe next year, I may encounter another pit in life, but it's only because God is continuing that process of preparing me for greatness in life. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you feel like you're in a pit. I don't know if you feel like you don't deserve it. But know this, pits aren't permanent. It's just a pit stop. God can rescue you, and he can help you as he strengthens you. Number five is this. Your greatest performance is tied to your purpose. Purpose is the reason that something is created. God created each of you with a purpose. He created each of you to do something specific. While performance is what we do, purpose is why we do it. You see, David is a shepherd boy. He defeated Goliath. That is what he did. But why he did it was connected to his purpose and that was to defeat the Philistines and eventually become the king of Israel. In your life, there are things that you do, but what you do should be connected to the purpose that God has given you. I know in my life, I am passionate about the things that I feel like God has called me to. I am passionate about my role as a wife and loving Herbert and supporting him and building him up. I am passionate about being a mother to my children to instruct them, to discipline, to raise them to know the Lord. I am passionate about the people that God has brought into my sphere of life. I'm passionate about this church, about this church family. And the things that I do within those passions, that is what I do. But all of it is for my purpose. And that is that my life would make others want to know Christ. That through my life and what I do, that they would experience what it is to know God and his love and his peace and his forgiveness. You see, as Herbert has told us, we all have a purpose. God has given us all something very specific in this life and it's always connected to god and his purpose and that is the saving and changing of many lives so today i don't know where you're at i don't know if you feel like you've been in a pit or two pits or three pits i don't know if you've questioned what god is doing in your life or if you wonder what your great performance is going to be but trust me in this that God has something special for each of you. And in this season now, He is preparing you. Don't fight the preparation. Continue to be faithful in doing the little things. Do them well. And through doing those little things, God will prepare you for your greatest performance. And let us have the resolve, like Evil Knievel, to say, I came in walking, I went out walking. Let us not grow weary. Let us keep going.